This is the Litigation Management Podcast, and I'm your host, the CEO of Case Clyde, Wesley Todd. And for those of you that are new, the Litigation Management Podcast is where we're trying to interview some of the most successful and influential people in and around the litigation management world. And as you know from the past guests, it, we're not looking for singles. We're not looking for the latest case law. We're not looking for uh, the latest strategies. We're looking for like big picture, you know, what does the future of claims litigation look like? How, how at the highest level um, are things going to impact you, the adjuster, the attorney, the, the claims director? And those are the type of guests we're bringing on. And today I was compelled to bring on uh, John, known as John High Five Henley. And John is an attorney and a vice president of shared services at UPC Insurance. And I'm going to have John tell you more about uh, his background today. But I was compelled to bring on John. I went to his uh, panel council summit a couple of weeks ago, and I was just so impressed with the high level of communication going on between the between John and his team and all of his panel council. I had never seen anything like it. And I just wanted to let everybody, we have, John, we have, I think, 5,500 people that receive this. And then there's, out of that group, there's a good chunk in the hundreds um, per episode, right off the bat that listens to it. We think it'll probably be in the thousands. So these people may not have heard a message like that ever before. I haven't. I just thought it would be right to share it with uh, all my other clients and all the other people in the industry. So we're going to talk about leadership today. John, I'd like you to start off by sharing your story. I think it's a really great one. Sure. Uh, thank you. Pleasure to be with you today. Really excited about it. Um, long story short, man, my name is John Henley. I uh, grew up in the Panhandle. Uh, I was a trailer park kid, and um, I'm a fifth career lawyer. Uh, I <laughs> went from managing retail, I was a rag man at a men's warehouse, uh, to owning a recruiting company in Georgia with one of my best friends from high school. Uh, and then that did very, very well. And we kind of liquidated that to open up a restaurant uh, pizza place in Pensacola, Florida. And that did not do very well. Uh, it, I mean, it did well, but after about three years, um, uh, long story short, just didn't work out. So had to pack up the tent and kind of was a drifter for a little bit after that and finally decided to go back to school. Um, got a job driving a chemical truck uh, for a company called Autoclor. So I had to get my CDL and drive a truck for them. Uh, they're based out of New Orleans, but the plant I was with was in Mobile, Alabama. So I drove a truck during the day and went to school at night. Uh, enrolled back at Pensacola Junior College and then uh, went to University of West Florida, the, the Harvard of Pensacola and uh, then was fortunate enough to go to Stetson University here in lovely St. Pete, Florida. And um, when I went to law school, I got a job um, as a first year with a guy named Bob Oxendine, and he was a just phenomenal mentor for me. He was my first law boss and just took a lot of time with me, coached me, and uh, did a great job of grooming me. And little did I know until I got you know, further along in my career that those opportunities are exceptionally rare. So I, I'm forever in debt to, uh, to Bob for the time he took uh, and effort that he expended on me. 
then from Bob's firm, I spent uh, almost four years with him. Then I was with Traub Lieberman, uh, an insurance defense firm in St. Pete. Had a wonderful time there. Uh, Ryan Jones, uh, Mike Kiernan, Scott Samus, you know, that whole group is, uh, they're on our panel. They do phenomenal work. They always preach about doing it the right way every single time, uh, which was an exceptional opportunity for me. Got a, a great breadth of knowledge from the cases I was able to handle and the issues I was able to work on with that team. Um, from there, I went to uh, a, bit, a short stint at a non-standard auto carrier that is no longer around. Let's just say uh, what they had said of the position was gonna be and what it actually was just didn't seem to jive for me. Uh, then I went to Ogden and Sullivan. I worked for Tim Sullivan. Uh, doing a lot of trucking litigation, premise liability work uh, on the defense side. Uh, Tim was fantastic, a lot of fun to work with, had some great people there. Uh, but ultimately, as, as a guy who has owned multiple businesses and run several others, uh, before I even went to law school, the drive to get back into the business space was always there. Uh, I knew I didn't want to be a, a career practitioner. And when an opportunity presented itself after I had my first child to become the claims attorney at UPC, I hopped all over it, uh, even though I really didn't know what that was. And uh, that was in uh, 2018. And uh, I started as the claims attorney and managing the litigated claims department. And then in February of 2019, I was uh, asked to oversee our liability claims department in um, January of 2020, I was asked to help oversee our commercial claims in conjunction with uh, our phenomenal MGA partners, uh, Amrisk. And uh, in August of last year, I was promoted to Vice President of Claims Shared Services. So now I have the pleasure of uh, working with our commercial claims group, uh, and I directly oversee our litigation, liability, subrogation, uh, special investigative unit, um, and our in-house legal team. That's a great story. I also came from the restaurant industry, but I don't think I had as many stops as you had. But uh, <laughs> like, I, it, it really, you can really tell somebody who hasn't done those type of things versus someone that has. Somebody that has, like every day is like a great day when you're sitting behind your computer and working and you, know, you just like can't believe it if you've never carried like a 40 pound bus tub before. Right. Um, you know, I, yeah. I love that you said that. Sorry to interrupt, but man, you know, there's there's a moment, and I think everybody has it, especially if you have a, you know, a work history behind you before you get into whatever your career ends up being. Uh, I was on call when I was working for the chemical company, and I got a call to fix to fix a dishwasher at a restaurant in Foley, Alabama. So I'm on call. It's the weekend. Uh, I'm in my 20s and it's like, oh, so I, I head on over to Foley, Alabama, and uh, I go back into the restaurant of, of this particular establishment uh, back in the kitchen. And they're like, hey, the dishwasher's not working anymore. So, hey, part of Autoclore's deal is, you know, we leased commercial dishwashers and laundry equipment to restaurants, hotels, and whatnot, along with manufacturing, distributing chemicals. So, I was trying to fix that washing machine and I had to, to get on the ground and slide underneath it. And there was this huge bed of maggots 
that was on the ground. And so I'm just laying on the ground in this nasty floor of a nasty kitchen at a nasty restaurant and just thinking, this sucks. This is awful. And uh, I always remember that moment in practice as a young practitioner. And today, if I'm ever having a bad day, I'm like, dude, this is nothing compared to that. So it, it's great to have those perspective moments. And I just will forever have that crystallized and just burned into my brain about, nope, don't want to do this. <laughs> I need opportunity. Yeah. <laughs> at the time we at the time we didn't care right i mean whatever but you look back and you're like yeah this is this is a cakewalk compared to that so yeah I, I i do think that that makes a big difference um well i mean that's a great story i really appreciate you sharing that that shows uh, i think everybody listening that there are basically uh, limitless tracks to um being the head of litigation at one of the top 20 property and casualty insurers in the country uh, so if that doesn't give you enough uh, inspiration, then I don't know what will. So I have, I have, I have some specific questions that I that I thought about after the panel meeting that I wanted to run by you. Uh, my, again, the audience is attorneys and adjusters and claims executives. These folks have had varying degrees of professional development. Um, I know I didn't have a whole lot, but I got thrown into everything, and that was the best thing for me at the time. Working at the law firm that I worked at, Full Scott and Cassane. Uh, that was the best thing I needed. But, you know, day to day, all I cared about was uh, getting my cases closed. You know, you know, I had hundreds of cases it, it, when, when it was all said and done with associates helping me and stuff. But I didn't have time to become a better person or help anybody else become a better person. That was the last thing from my mind. And the reason for that was because I had, you know, a lot of pressures on me to get my job done. And what's really hard for me to understand, John, is you have so much pressure on you. You have a lot of cases. Um, you know, I won't say the number out loud, but it's a lot of cases. You have dozens of people working for you. And there's, there's so many five alarm fires every day. But somehow everybody at your, on your team uh, is always supportive and coaching and always has taken the positive outlook on everything, even through the pandemic. So how, so, so when I see that I'm viewing, I see, Oh, okay. John has a long-term perspective. He knows that it's going to take a while to develop these people. He knows that he's not going to try to teach a lesson every day, about everything that goes wrong, but how the hell do you do that? Well, part of it goes to, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll give you the definition of success as my dad told it to me and as I ascribe it to be. Uh, and it's three things. Number one, are you truly happy? And that's what it leads off with. Are you happy? Number two, are you able to provide for yourself and anyone who's dependent upon you by you know, legitimate means? And number three, do you positively contribute to your community at large? Uh, or the community that is your neighborhood, your community. And if you can do those three things, I don't care what your title is, what your bank account looks like, you're successful to me. That's what I define success as. But it starts with being happy. And if you're not happy, man, the rest of it is just going to, it's just trappings of success. It's not actual success. So, you know, I, I credit our employee success department 
in the, the way that they're able to help vet through people that come in the door. Uh, and ultimately, you know, when I walked in a door, I had an exceptional group of phenomenal, talented leaders ready to go. Uh, and it was just a matter of, look, how do I remove barriers to their success? What is log jamming them in their daily life? All right, how the hell do I get rid of it? That was my entire goal then. It's my entire goal now. Because if you hire exceptional people, happy, exceptional people, and that's all, that, that's all that I ask for. I think that's all any company should ask for. Do you have the core competency to be able to do the job? Do you have an outstanding work ethic? And do you have a phenomenal attitude? If you've got those three things, you're going to be successful with me. More than likely, you're going to be successful everywhere. I don't necessarily need the best litigation adjuster that's ever adjusted a litigated claim. I don't need the best panel counsel that's ever tried a case. I just need core competency to do the job because you have to be able to do it. Fair enough. But once you've passed that minimum threshold, I just need exceptional work ethic and an outstanding attitude. And once you get that, it's easy to take what may be disparate uh, backgrounds and beliefs and people and skill sets and experience levels. And you can amalgamate all of that into this phenomenal family that is happy and driven by whatever drives them to be successful, but driving in the same direction. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it's, it all starts with happy, finding the right people that have that work ethic, that attitude, that core competency level. And then once you identify those folks, getting the hell out of their way, let them do what they're great at. Give them the tools, give them the education, training, time. Uh, and this is important. Give them the ability to make a mistake. You got to, because it's going to happen. And if you're one of those, you know, yelling, screaming, every mistake that's ever made, you're going to, you're going to lose people, especially today. There's, there's opportunities out there. Uh, and, you know, I, I wouldn't want to be in a situation like that. I don't know many people who do. People have to be allowed to make mistakes and they have to be able to learn from those mistakes. The consequences are fine, but you take those as coaching opportunities, learn everything that you can. And like they say in football, once you throw an interception, what can I learn about why I threw that pick? All right, all right, okay, I got it. Now that I'm throwing that crap out of my memory and never thinking about it again, and I'm on to the next one. So I have a curveball to throw at you here. I would assume that that for that to work, that you would also have to have similar leadership that you're reporting into, right? I mean, I feel like I have seen um, so much pressure get sent down throughout the organization from the top uh, at, 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 at claims departments. Here comes a hard one. What do you what do you do? There's a large share of these people. What do you do if you're one of those adjusters or managers at one of those companies where that's not how your leaders take care of you, but you, and without saying to quit, right? I mean, that's the, but, but like, how could you possibly 
be, you know, achieve that long-term growth. It's a hard one, by the way. You can, you can pass sure. it to Because it, I mean, it truly matters. You know, to your point about top-up leadership or top-down leadership, you know, my boss, Scott St. John, and I'm not just saying this because I know, I hope that he'll listen to it. He may not. He is exceptional. Best boss I've ever had. I mean, he really wow. is. He gets me. And I've had some, except, like I was telling you, Bob Oxendine is my legal mentor, always will be. Uh, I, I, before this call, I told you every May 26th, I text Bob because that's the date that he hired me uh, 10, 11, whatever years ago. And I tell him, thank you for that opportunity and for everything that he did because I mean, that was amazing. But as far as, as, as bosses go, man, Scott St. John's as good as it gets. He allows me to be me. Um, he is, he's a brilliant dude who always knows the next question. That one question that, you know, you've asked all of them except for that one. And he thinks of it. It's like, ah, God, dog, how did I not think about that? Um, he has this quiet way about him. And he understands that I am a very unique individual in the way that I like to do things. My personality is a little quirky, but he's cool with that. He's like, dude, that's fine. You know, and, and he'll guide in certain instances when he needs to, and he just lets me be me in the others. And what I would tell, you know, adjusters who have uh, leadership that they feel initially is maybe antithetical to the way that they would prefer to be led that first you know, stop and take a moment to kind of search that feeling. Because it, it, if you're feeling it, then it's valid. Always, one of the best ways to uh, help stop an argument, right? Well, I feel a certain way. Okay, well, no amount of reason or logic is gonna change the way that you feel necessarily. So let's explore that. So take a moment and explore why do you feel that way? And take kind of inventory of what am I doing in my current role to be successful here. What does success look like to me, short-term, long-term? And you know, I ask that of every single one of our staff folks. Uh, I meet with them normally, I used to do it twice a year, but now it's grown to the point where I'm only able to do it once a year. But one of the things that I ask them often is, you know, what does success look like to you? Uh, and because only if I know that, can I then remove barriers to that success? And it may not even be in our company. I sure hope it is, but maybe it's to be the best sous chef in the Northeast. And if that's the case, let's kick butt at what we're doing now, but figure out how we can get you to where you want to be. So you have to have the internal dialogue first of what is success to me? And then when you can take stock of what am I doing well, what am I not doing well, what are my opportunity areas, your own little SWOT analysis kind of, then when you truly have that, then you can look at what your leadership is providing to you yeah. and hopefully be able to have an open dialogue with that leadership about areas that you would like additional coaching or resources in. And it doesn't have to be negative. Let's be serious. Once you start off with, you're bad, you're the worst, you don't lead me right, you know, that you're going to turn somebody off. Uh, one of the best books I've ever read is uh, Dale Carnegie's How to Win Friends and Influence People. And the chapters, it, it's, I, I say that it's uh, platitudes told through anecdotes, because that's really what it is. And a lot of it's very simplistic in nature, but when you, when you read it and it really resonates, it's like, wow, when I have these discussions with my leaders, I don't, you know, I don't like to be told, you're the worst, you suck, blah, 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 blah. Well, neither do they. So if there's opportunity areas that they can do better in leading you, 
and you don't articulate those to them in a positive way, then shame on you because you're the end of the problem. So if you agree with all of that, which I do, the action items are, which I thought were really strong, stop and actually take your time and think about this. You're, if you don't like what you're hearing uh, or you don't like the situation you're in, and I'm, I'm just, there's so many people I'm sure that, that are so stressed out that, that need to hear this. Um, you're not going to do yourself any service if you just share your opinion without really thinking about it. Um, ask questions. So like your opinion is much better shared through questions, right? Um, um, I don't think I should have 150 cases versus what do you think the right amount of cases for an adjuster is? I can tell you as a leader, that second one is going to hit me a lot harder than the first one. The first one I'm going to, I'm going to say, this person has a problem. The second one is going to be, I have a problem as, as their boss. Um, and then, and, and, and then um, oh, the other one, just giving the benefit of the doubt on the other side. So your leader probably is getting a lot of pressure too. And you could probably team up on this issue. Um, exactly. Right. To, to your point. Yeah. I mean, how, how do you make it to where it is in their best interest and in the company's best interest whatever your organization is, you know, to be able, all right, how can I align what I want with what's in their best interest and the company's best interest? And when you can create those win-win scenarios, uh, it, it's, it's magic, it really is. So, you know, take that opportunity, take a moment, self-reflect, where is the feeling coming from? Is it truly coming from frustration with your job? It could be external pressures. It may be a combination of the two. It may be you're conflating the issue and, and it's something on the outside you need to deal with. Maybe you're in an industry you don't want to be in, or maybe you're an auto and you want to be in property or wh whatever it is. You know, take that internal stock, that internal inventory first, and then take a deep breath. How would you like to be led better? What, what type of leadership style best resonates with you and gets the best out of you? And, and be honest about that, you know? Some folks are learners through one way, some learn another. And then try to identify things that your leader finds important, what's important to them. And if you can then take what is in your best interest and then match that up, then you're gonna gain the traction that you want. Yeah. I, I really, I really like that. I think that's helpful. And and I'll just, I'll, I'll shift subjects, but I'm going to add one more thing. If you're an adjuster in a, in a, you know, in one of these heavier litigation areas, you're probably getting paid pretty well. And so you're in a situation where you, you know, you're, you feel trapped because it is super stressful and you are, you know, feeling like the weight of the world's on your shoulders. You're probably dealing with a million dollars plus and you know, money that you're going to pay out, uh, you know, either through expense or indemnity or settlement. And, but you just feel trapped because you're, you're, you're probably making a lot of money and it'd be, it, you'd have to make a huge trade off. So make it work, you know, be quiet, think and put yourself in the other person's shoes and yeah, figure this problem out, ask the right questions, figure it out because it, it's, it's going to be, you know, it, it, you're making a good living. Yeah. So let's, I, I'm going to, I'm going to shift, but kind of stay on the same topic here at the panel. Meet, we're kind of, I was kind of thinking adjuster as, as we we're having that conversation That's cool. at That's the cool. panel meeting. 
you talked to all the senior partners and you said, take care of your associates, yep. right? You said, Hey, like these are the guys actually doing guys and gals actually doing our work. Um, I was once I, John was once one of those associates. So that's kind of a little bit of a different animal. So you got to talk to the senior partners, talk to the associates, like what, what, what should they be trying to get out of, um, out of their career right now? And why should they be thinking about leadership and, and this long-term thinking that, that you're so good at sharing? Well, I, I appreciate it. I, I hope I'm good at sharing it, but from their perspective, you know, if I'm talking to the associate, uh, first and foremost, you know, are you in a supportive environment? I was very lucky. You know, again, like I said, Bob Oxendine was an exceptional mentor for me. And he was my first law boss right out of the gate. It wasn't until much later on that I realized that there's a lot of associates that do not get that opportunity. A lot of young lawyers, and I say young, not on an age thing, an experience thing. Once you get into you know, I'm, I, again, I was a fifth career lawyer, so I wasn't the traditional high school, college, law school path. But so, you know, these green lawyers are coming in and no one is there to mentor them. And it is called the practice of law because there is no definitive way to do it. There's no right answer. It is a practice, just like the practice of medicine. We always keep trying to get better and mother nature keeps throwing a curveball at us. Well, in law, it's you know, the six people on a bench that are in a box that are the jury or the person on the bench that is a judge that has all of their inherent biases and issues and hangouts all baked into them. And while they should be this unbiased arbiter of justice, they're another person too. Um, so, you know, as you get into this environment, you're trying to learn it. And if people don't, if the experienced practitioners don't take the time to develop those, that young talent, that green talent, then uh, number one, wait, better yet, it reminds me of the adage, right? What happens if we train them and they leave? Well, what happens if we don't and they stay? So if you're telling this person to bill hours. Hey, live your life on six minute increments. Okay, how do you do that? Now ah, you'll figure it out. I'll, I'll, I'll cut your pre-bills and Blah, 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 blah. Uh, okay. You're going to go to this hearing. Great. Um, you know, what do I need to do? Law school can only teach you so much. Hopefully you're able to have a job within law school or be at a clinic within law school that gave you some idea of what it's like to actually practice, what it's like to be in front of a judge, in front of the jury, in front of, in front of, in front of. Uh, but so many, so many law firms just whiff when it comes to that development. They do. It, it's a pyramid scheme. That's all it is. It's like, I, nobody mentored me and now I'm at the top. So I'm not going to mentor anybody, but I just want, you know, build those hours, build, 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 build. And I bet you I could speak for most of my industry colleagues when I say, I'd rather pay a higher hourly rate and get a better work product than get average work product, just you're churning the hours on me. Uh, seriously, it, it's so it's one of those things of if you're a young lawyer, what I would tell you, if you're a, a green lawyer, number one, find a mentor, find one. 
And if you can't find one at the firm you're with, go to a different firm because every new lawyer needs a mentor in the workspace that will be able to help show them the ropes and keep them from hopefully making mistakes that that lawyer made. You know, some mistakes are inevitable, some losses you're always going to take, but you know, it's, it's an unfortunate learning construct that the legal practice is engaged in where it's like, all right, you're going to learn by making the same mistakes that I made. So I'm going to throw you into the deep end and let you make those mistakes. Why? So toxic environment, get the hell out. If you're going to find a mentor and ask questions, ask questions, ask questions. So yeah. Uh, and wise leadership. And that is so important because that creates better lawyers sooner. Give them those opportunities and an opportunity to fail. You're going to have that opportunity. And then as they get better, they will appreciate, hopefully, same way I do, same way others do, that mentorship and we'll pass it along to others. And that way we have a more organic development of capable, competent, and qualified yet still somewhat inexperienced legal professionals in our uh, legal landscape. And honestly, right now, we don't have that. So you're 100% right. I 100% I, I, I agree with you that the number one step is to find a mentor. Uh, that's exactly what worked for you and I. And I think I'll just add a, a little element of uh, practical advice. I think people want to have mentees. They just have kids and their, their own jobs and whatever else they're trying to do. They're not going to initiate it. But I think if you try hard enough, you totally can open that up and you can get a mentor. You can probably get multiple mentors, frankly. And those people are, that's like, they, it's probably the mo most enjoyable thing you could do um, is to help someone out. And everybody, I think, would agree with that. It'll be, it's hard to break through, but if you break through, it's going to be very rewarding. I, I think, I, I think the, the practical advice I'd give to the young lawyer is that they should initiate it because I, I it's, it's not really that person's, it's, you know, it, well, yes, it's that person's place, but if that, if that mentor has 10 associates, that's a huge, it's just, that's going to be difficult, right? I mean, like to, to be a good mentor for all 10 of them, there's just some logistics there that are, that are hard. Go get the mentor, go make it happen yourself. And frankly, get a few, you know, get a few with a few different perspectives, get one outside of your area of practice or, you know, at least outside of the practice of law. I mean, I think the most, I have some brilliant friends that haven't made a friend outside of the area of law and they're just spoiling all their potential because they just have no clue what's actually going on in the real world. So get some business friends too. You can be of service to them. Um, so it can be mutual. So I, I really like that advice. I agree. That's probably step one, two, three, four, and five. I'll tell you one thing too, the larger firms out there and kudos to Kelly Cronenberg for starting a, uh, a first party property school in their, one of their Florida offices. And that's huge. You know, if you're a larger firm and you have the resources to be able to devote time to have like a, a training program for new hires and maybe not 
you know, people new to law, but people new to a particular area of law, uh, that could be invaluable. You know, having people do as, you know, and, and to your point about other industries, you know, when I first started with that trucking company, I had a supervisor come on ride-alongs with me often. And it was, you know, hey, you get to see the job and see what it's like and understand, okay, this is what it is and do it under the watchful eye of a supervisor who's trying to help you get better at it. So, you know, hey, law firms out there, if you have the resources, dedicate some of your talent that are exceptional mentors to being leaders in some teaching capacity for these folks. Hey, you know what? It's uh, on Monday, you're gonna come to these hearings with me and watch as I go through them. Hey, on Tuesday, we're gonna do these depositions together and afterwards, we're gonna kind of debrief it and deconstruct why I did what I did and what different you know, strategies you could have utilized to get hopefully to the same point. And you know, those moments for a young practitioner are invaluable. Yeah, and, and, and I was just, I'm just thinking like, if you do that, then you're gonna have that, you're probably gonna get two times the, life, the, the lifetime on that attorney. So instead of having to get yourself in the situation where you have to train another attorney again, uh, in two years, you'll have that attorney for four years. And that attorney is going to be so much more valuable in years three and four than they were in one and two. Uh, they could probably even help out some more one and two. So th this isn't, th this is even in your best interest from an efficiency standpoint, not even just like being a better person. It's just common business sense. Yep. You do the right thing because it's the right thing, but then you can also do the right thing because it is beneficial to you, to your organization. And in that respect, you know, the cost of onboarding and training, it, it's very expensive. And you're right. But to be able to take the time up front and periodically throughout their career uh, to stay involved and, and have that discussion of how are you doing? Where do you feel you're doing well? Where do you feel that you're not doing well? What are your opportunity areas? How can I help you become better in those opportunity areas? What are you aspiring to? Like, what do you like? You know, having those discussions just on a, on a human level are very enjoyable because you're going to hear some really great stories. Uh, but from a professional level, it, it, they are giving you the roadmap to help them be better, which will improve your organization. This is, I think, a really good place to stop. Now, you know, I wanted to... Yeah, on top of being a leadership, uh, you know, one of the top leaders in the industry that I know, you're also one of the strongest, you know, users of the metrics and you really understand, you know, that what used to work isn't working anymore. And then you, I think you even raised some of the points now. So we're going to save that for the next one, if that's okay. Yeah, no, that's, that's fine. That's fine. Um, and I, 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 you know, I've, I've been in a lot of these organizations. I've had a lot of perspective. I've seen ebbs and flows. I do believe that this is as important of a message as any for the your your typical adjuster and attorney to hear. I'm thinking especially the adjusters, the managers, the associates. Uh, these folks just don't get these opportunities. If you're billing, you know, 1,600, 1,800, 2,000 hours a year, that's all you're doing. And then you're trying to live your life. So uh, I just couldn't help myself. And I really appreciate your willingness to share 
your perspective. I know we could do it for hours. Um, so, so on behalf of all of them, I wish I had this when I was a second year lawyer. So thank you. I'm, um, you, you know, uh, I, I feel like, you know, a lot of times people may want to reach out to you. They may have a question. They may want to learn more about something. What's the best way for someone to reach you, John? Um, yeah, so uh, my email at work is uh, jhenley, that's H-E-N-L-E-Y, at upcinsurance.com. So jhenley at upcinsurance.com. Uh, I'm on LinkedIn, but I don't check it that often. So if, I, if you message me, uh, friend me, that's great. I'll, I'll, I try to keep up with it. Uh, it's just become such a solicitation ground that I just, yeah, it's hard to really stay up with that. But if you email me, uh, it may not be immediate, but I'll get back to you. Um, your time is important. You know, I always, it's so funny. I hear people say that all the time, like, you know, you're so busy. You know, I know your time's important. I appreciate it. I'm like, so is yours. So, you know, everyone's busy. Everyone's time is important because it's the finite thing that we can't get back, right? We can't buy it, can't trade for it. So uh, your time's important too. So if you reach out to me, uh, assuming our spam filter doesn't call you out, then I will respond. And I even check my spam folder every week to make sure it didn't kick out something it shouldn't have. So uh, please feel free to reach out. If I can help in any way, I, I want to. This, I tell folks in this industry space that, you know, when it comes to our sales departments, sure, we're competitors, whatever. But when it comes to the, the claims and litigation side of our industry, we're all in the same boat, at least we should be. And that boat is what I like to call our prime directive as a claims organization. And that is to protect, in our case, UPC and its insurers. So you know, I think every organization I would like to hope has a similar mantra of you know, protect the organization and the policy holders uh, that count on us in their time of need. And that is prime directive for us. So. Um, if I can help in any way, shape, or form, please feel free to reach out. Truly appreciate everybody's time today. And yours too, Wes, man. This is a lot of, a lot of fun. I could chat with you for hours. Uh, you man. Yeah, we might just do that after the pod. But thanks for sharing that story with the Litigation Management Podcast. And we'll, we'll do it again on the metrics soon, okay? Perfect. Appreciate you, brother. Be good. Thanks, John. You too.